I'm the narrator, the creator of Mythical, a podcast that wanders into the dark and fantastical pages of fairy tales and myths. Each episode, I read a classic or obscure story and add my own thoughts on the narrative. If you love original fairy tales, visit the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Mythical Podcast for all the latest updates and links to listen for free. I hope to see you in the storybooks. girls get together, talk about stories, folklore, fairy tale and any strange tales that have caught our interests. My name is Emily Collins and today, due to being the season of the sniffles, I am a solo shadow girl. I'm all alone, well, apart from the dogs who are looking up at me with adoring eyes trying to see if they can get a little bit of my barn brack. Because not only is it the season of the sniffles, it's also the season of Samhain. Samhain is a Celtic festival, one that marks the beginning of winter the beginning of the dark time of the year. It falls between the autumn equinox and the winter solstice. This is normally the night of October 31st and the early morning of November the 1st. Today we know it as Halloween. Samhain, it's the start of the dark side of the year and it's a solar festival. And like many solar festivals, there are tombs that were built to line up with it. The famous tomb of Newgrange or Brunaboynia is a megalithic passage tomb, which on the day of the solstice, the sunlight shines directly into it and lights up from one end of the tomb to the other, possibly symbolising the earth being fertilised by the sun. But on Samhain, one of the tombs on the hill of Tara, the Mound of the Hostages, it has a similar, though less famous, lineup with the sun. We've got lots of festivals associated with Samhain, which we have now carried on to Halloween. We light bonfires, we tell stories, we get together and enjoy some of the spookier aspects of life. It's a liminal time. It's a time when the worlds get a bit closer together. It's a time when fairies and other creatures like that can wander the earth. But it's also a time when the dead may walk with the living. It's a time when your dead relatives might come back for a visit. Which is why on the Feast of Samhain you always set an extra space at your table. And if anyone knocks on your door, you must let them in, you must show them hospitality. For it could be a lost family member, back from the dead, or maybe a fairy creature in disguise. I mentioned barn brack. Barn brack is one of the foods we eat at Halloween, at least in Ireland. It's a tea brack, a sort of light fruit cake. But you don't just use it for eating, and it's, it's lovely toasted with a little bit of butter. But it's also used for divining. When you're making your brack, you'll put a couple little items in. You'll put a ring a coin, a pea, a stick, and a piece of rag. Now, when you cut the brack and divide the slices up, everyone will look in their slice to see if there's something there. And if there is something in your slice of brack, well, it tells you what's about to happen to you in the year to come. If you find the ring, well, you're going to make a good match, a good marriage. If you find the coin, you're going to come into riches. If you find the pea, well, you're going to be single for the next year. If you find the stick, that means an unhappy marriage or fights among your close relatives. And the cloth? Well, the cloth is terrible luck. Bad luck and poverty. The barn brack isn't the only food we use for divining. 
There's other traditions. Apples, for instance. On the night of Samhain, on Halloween night, you would peel an apple, making the peel as long as you can into one piece. A bit like um, in Sleepless in Seattle. Peel the apple in one long strip. You take your long peel and you toss it over your shoulder and then see how it lands. Looking at the squiggle of peel on the ground, you try to see if it can make an initial. That letter, that is the letter of the name of the one you are to marry. And if you think you've found the one you're going to marry, you can test if you'd be a good match with hazelnuts. Take two hazelnuts, one representing yourself, the other representing your intended, and place them to roast in the fire. Now, if the nuts jump away from the fire as they roast, if they move further apart, well, that means you two would not make a good match. But if the nuts should move closer together and closer to the flame, that's a very good omen. The thing most children love about Halloween is you get to dress up and go trick-or-treating. Put on a scary costume and fill yourself with sugar. It's the one time you are allowed to take candy from a stranger. Trick-or-treat comes from Samhain traditions as well. It comes from the ideas of mumming and guising. Mumming was sort of a amateur folk plays, normally based on well-known legends or histories. The mummers would dress themselves up and they'd go from house to house performing their piece or more likely go from pub to pub performing their piece. And you would, when the mummers came, they'd be entertaining you. So you'd give them some food and drink before they went on their way to the next house. We'd get very merry by the time of the final performance. Guising is closer to the tradition of trick-or-treating we know today. It was done by children. Children would dress up in masks and go around to their neighbours, gathering gifts, normally of food, treats. But to get your treat, you had to perform a trick. You had to do your little party piece. This would maybe be reciting a poem, telling a joke, singing a song. If you were a particularly talented and precocious child, you might bring along an instrument with you, though, depending on the instrument, this could be more of a hindrance. You were rewarded for your trick with your little bit of treat, which is quite different to what it's become nowadays. Now, trick or treat is more of a threat. Give me something nice to eat or I'll do something not so nice to you. Halloween is also the time of the jack-o'-lantern. Now today we carve pumpkins, but before we had pumpkins, people used to carve turnips. And if anyone's ever tried carving a turnip, it's was quite difficult. It's, it's a bit like sort of trying to carve open a block of wood. People used to carve out turnips and put a light in them. They'd often carve a little face and turnips, the way they withered, ends up giving quite a, quite a frightening effect of a, a shrunken, withered, slightly putrefied human head. We carve jack-o'-lanterns, be they turnips or pumpkins, because of Stingy Jack. Now, Stingy Jack, he was a trickster. He was a thief. He was a swindler. People knew about Jack far and wide. They knew of the things he got up to. And they called him Stingy Jack. And folks used to say that oh, Stingy Jack, he could trick the devil himself. Well, the devil got to hear about this and... Well, he was none too pleased that people were saying that a mortal could trick him, so he began to keep a very close eye on Jack. Now, one Samhain night, Jack was walking. It's a dangerous thing to do to walk on your own on Samhain night because all sorts of creatures, ghosts, ghouls, demons, well, they could be walking abroad as well. But Jack, he had no fear and he called out to the night, My name is Stingy Jack. I could trick the devil himself. And then on the road before him appeared a man, a man dressed in a long cloak. Now Jack, as he got a little closer to the man, he could see the, his feet, his feet just poking out under the hem of the cloak. They weren't human feet. 
They were the feet of a goat. And as he came a bit closer, he could see that beneath the hood, the man seemed to have two great horns growing from his head. And when Jack stood before the man, well, he was face to face with the devil himself. And the devil said, Jack, Jack, it is I, the Lord of lies, Prince of hell. I am here, Jack, I am here to take your soul. Now, Jack was remarkably calm for a man who's just come face to face with the devil. And he said, oh, old Nick, is it? Oh, well, I do admit, I've not lived a good life. I've done many, many a thing that I shouldn't have. And I've enjoyed it all the while. So I'll go willingly with you to hell. I'll put up no fuss, no complaints here. But before I go, devil, I've got this mighty thirst on me. Would you mind if we stopped off at the pub for a, for a bit of a drink? And the devil... Well, who was he to refuse a dying man his last request? So they went to the pub. They walked into the pub and well, Jack noticed that everyone was remarkably unperturbed by the fact he'd just walked into the establishment with a six-foot-tall, goat-legged, horny-headed demon. And he asked the devil, what, what was this all about? And the devil replied, Jack, I'm the devil. I can change my form. What? you see is not what they see. When they look at me, they just see a kindly old man with a bit of a mischievous glint in his eye. And Jack nodded his head. That was a fine trick, being able to change your form and what people saw you as. But it got his mind turning. And he was thinking up something when he went up to the bar, when he ordered the drinks, took the drinks back to the table, and he and the devil sat there, draining their pints. And when they'd got to the end, Jack began to pat his pockets. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, Mary and Joseph, I'm mortified. I have to leave my wallet at home. I've got no money on me. The devil. Oh, I've thought of a great trick. What if you turn yourself into a coin? Turn yourself into a little coin and I'll pay for the drinks with you. Then as soon as I'm out of here, you can turn back into your normal shape and whisk me off back to hell. How does that sound? And the devil, who was a little bit merry at this stage in the evening, said, yeah, that sounded like a bit of fun. So he turned himself into a coin. And Jack picked up the coin and put it in his pocket. In the pocket where he always kept a little silver cross. A little cross given to him by his mother when she thought there might still be a bit of hope for him in the world. Jack left the pub with the coin in his pocket without paying for the drinks. And the devil, well, the devil started to notice something strange. He couldn't turn back. While he was next to the cross, he was powerless and he called out, Jack! Jack, there, there seems to be a bit of a problem. Uh, Jack, I'm a little bit stuck. Jack, Jack, there's a cross in your pocket. Let me out. But Jack just patted his pocket and kept walking. The devil grew furious and called out, Jack, if you do not release me this instant, I will see to it that your soul suffers the very torments of hell. And Jack said, yeah. How do you plan to do that from inside my pocket? And the devil grew quiet. He sat there and said in a very, very small voice, Jack, if you let me out, I'll give you another year of life. I'll give you another two years. Three years, final offer. But Jack, he paused, he leaned himself against the tree and said, Well, you know now, devil, 
I've been thinking about it. And I don't think hell would really suit me. It's very hot down there. I'm Irish. I burn. So I've got an idea. I'll let you out of my pocket if you promise me my soul can never set foot across the gates of hell. Well, the devil, he didn't have much choice. He had to get out of Jack's pocket. He had a kingdom to run. So he agreed. He promised Jack's soul would never set foot across the gates of hell. And with that, Jack put his hand in his pocket, took the coin out, flipped it into the air, and the devil vanished in a foul stench. Now, I'd love to tell you that after this point, Jack became a reformed character, that he mended his ways and did no more ill deeds. But unfortunately, that's not the case. If anything, Jack was twice as bad. If you can think of a sin, he did it. Probably did it a couple times, just to perfect the art. And after a couple years of this, well, well, his body just couldn't keep up and he died. And when he died, his soul it started floating upwards, up towards heaven. But the angels came to the pearly gates and said, You're stingy, Jack. We've heard all about you. Oh, we don't want you here. Shoop, shoop, away with you. Be gone. And so Jack started to float down, float down into the earth, deeper and deeper into the cold darkness. He wandered, lost, until at last he saw a light in the distance and he followed the light. The light led him to the gates of hell. But they were shut. So Jack knocked on them. He called out, Hello? Hello? Is, is anyone there? It's me. It's Jack. Stingy Jack. Bad man Jack, hello! And at last the devil came to the gates of hell and said, My, my, isn't this interesting, Jack? How are you? And Jack said, Devil, I'm in a terrible state. Please, you've got to let me in. I've got nowhere to go. And there's this darkness around me, this, this terrible, terrible darkness. And the devil just shook his head and said, Jack, I'm the devil. I always keep my promises. I promised that your soul would not step one foot across the gates of hell. And since you can't go up and you can't go down, well, I'm afraid you're stuck, Jack. You're stuck in that in-between space with the lost souls. I'm sorry, Jack. There's, there's nothing I can do. Now, Jack. Jack looked around him, looked at the darkness. It was a terrible, cold darkness, one that seemed to be, to be sucking at him, pulling at him inside, making him feel a terrible emptiness and called out, Oh, devil, you can't leave me like this, please. Please, give me something, give me a light. And the devil? Well, the devil is a gentleman. Well, he had to admit Jack. Jack had been very clever to trick him. So he picked up a tiny flame of hellfire and tossed it through the gates to Jack. Jack caught it, but it burnt his fingertips. So he looked for some container, something he could carry the light in. And since he was underground, where root vegetables grow, he found a turnip. He hollowed out the turnip, gnawing at it with his teeth until he'd made enough of a hollow to hold the flame. He popped the light in, and he walked off into the darkness, carrying his lantern. Jack still wanders that darkness, carrying his light, and we don't call him Stingy Jack anymore. We call him Jack of the Lantern. Or Jack O Lantern. And on Samhain night, on the night of Halloween, on the night when the worlds are a little bit closer, sometimes Jack and the other lost souls in that darkness walk through our world. That is the reason we leave out the Jack-o'-lantern. 
We leave out a light in case someone walking by needs it. It's a terrible thing to wander in darkness for eternity. So this Halloween, don't forget to leave out your jack-o'-lantern. You never know who could be walking by. So that's the story of Stingy Jack. It's the reason we make jack-o'-lanterns. And whenever I hear that story, I'm always reminded of one of my dear friends, one of the original Shadow Girls, Alex Crystal. Alex, if you're listening, I wish you were here and you were the one telling the Batman Jack story. It's not just the dead and the lost souls that you might bump into on Samhain Night, though. You could run across the fairies. We've talked a lot about the fairies and fairy law on this podcast. We've talked about how they play tricks, how they steal children sometimes. But sometimes fairies act as judges, arbiters of the social justice. Now, I'm not sure if they do this because of their innate sense of fairness or because we're just a a handy source of amusement to them. But one of the men who met the judgment of the fairies was a fella called Tyg O'Kane. Now, Tyg had been blessed He had everything a young man could want. He had good looks. He had wealth. He came from a respected family. And Tyg had charm. He had a certain way with the ladies. Tyg was a player. And he never took anything in life too seriously. He moved from one dalliance to the next, never really thinking much about the consequences. Except that one day, uh, well, more likely one night, he got a girl in a bit of trouble. This girl told her mother about it. Her mother told her father. Her father went to have a chat with Tyg's father. And before long, they were all planning a wedding. They'd picked out the colour for the bridesmaid. They booked the church. By the time they actually got around to telling Tyg about it, telling him that he was about to become a father and a bridegroom. Tyg, though, he didn't take the news too well. He didn't want to be tied down. He didn't want the responsibility of a wife and a child. He wanted to roam free through the world like a like a leaf on the breeze. But his father told him it was time to grow up. Take responsibility. And what's more, if Tyg didn't marry this young woman, if he didn't raise that child as his own, well, his father would disinherit him. Disown him. This was quite a blow to Tyg. It would, it would mean an end to his comfortable life. But, you know, he always landed on his feet. So he went off walk, to walk through the night to try to clear his head, make up his mind on the matter. But it was sour night, a dangerous night to walk on your own. And Jack made the mistake of walking by one of the old fairy hills. As he was walking by, he saw what looked like four men, all carrying a box on their shoulder. When they walked past Tyke, one of the men must have tripped or something because the box suddenly dropped to the ground and the contents spilt out before Tyke. It was a corpse, a rotting, stinking, fettered corpse. And as Tyg looked down on the corpse, it suddenly sprang up and grabbed hold of him. Tyg, he wrestled with the body, but it was holding on tight and it managed to clamber up onto his back, clinging on for dear life, or dear death in this case. And the four men, well, they'd come closer and Tyg could now see these weren't men. These were fairies. And they said to him, Tyg O'Kane, we've been watching you. We know everything you've been up to. We've seen all that you have done. We've seen that you take and you take and you take, but you never give. So we're here to punish you. That corpse on your back is your punishment. And if you don't bury it, bury it in a Christian graveyard before the light of the sun falls on your back, well, it'll be on top of you. 
clinging on to you till you yourself are in the grave. And with that, they vanished. Taiki was, was quite shaken by this experience, but he knew he had to get the body off his back. So he set off for the nearest graveyard. But, well, Tyke was really learning the meaning of dead weight, because with every step he took, the body on his back seemed to grow heavier and heavier. He was practically crawling by the time he came to the graveyard, and he began to dig in the earth, dig in one of the graves. But a voice called out from the ground, We're full. Try somewhere else. So Tyke dig, he, he dug in a second grave, and he dug and he dug and he... He came upon the body of a, a freshly buried old woman. The old woman opened one eye, looked up at Tyg and went, This is the first time in 70 years I've had a little bit of peace and quiet. Would you mind leaving me alone? Tyg apologised and reburied her and he began to dig in a third grave, but it only just started when a hand suddenly shut up out of the ground and tried to grab hold of him. Tyke legged it out of the graveyard. He, he already had one body on his back. He didn't need a second one. He set off. He'd have to go to another graveyard. He ran because he was running out of time. But the corpse on his back, it was doing everything it could to slow him down. The legs that were dangling free, they kept tangling in Tyke's own legs. He'd fall, roll, get up again, bruised, battered, bleeding. But he kept going. He managed to get to the graveyard and began to dig frantically in the earth, dug till his fingers bled because he knew the sun was about to rise. He could already see the pink line on the sky and he only just managed to bury the body before the sun rose. Now after this, Tyke was a changed man. He went back to his father and said he'd been childish. He'd had cold feet. Of course he was going to get married. And Tyke did marry the young woman. And he, well, he actually turned out to be a wonderful husband, a brilliant father. And everyone remarked on what a kind and generous man Tygo Kane had become. He was generous with his coin, generous with his time, with his knowledge. But he was always looking over his shoulder, always checking, was there anyone coming up behind him? Because Tyke knew the fairies, they had punished him and he had paid for some of his sins. But there was still one or two left unaccounted for. And Tyke was always just a little bit worried that the fairies, well, they might be coming back. So that's the story of Tyke O'Kane and the corpse. So I hope you enjoyed those two little Samhain stories, Halloween tales. If you'd like to rate, review, subscribe, that will be brilliant. It really makes us happy when we see people rate, when people like write little reviews for us. If you have any feedback or you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on so various social medias. Uh, we are Tales from the Shadow on Facebook and Instagram. And on Twitter, we are at Tales Shadows. The reason that we're Tales from the Shadows is we're also a theatre group and I thought it'd be easier if we all had one social media, but it's just proved complicated. We also, I'm very pleased to announce, now have a Patreon. So if you would like to support the podcast, support the Shadow Puppets, uh, get a little bit of rewards, uh, you can find us on Patreon at Sounds from the Shadows. Uh, any little helps? Hopefully next time uh, it won't be just me, though maybe next time I'll be the one suffering from the cold. And until then, goodbye and happy Halloween. <laughs>